You are the autumn people. Where do you come from? The dust. Where do you go to? The grave. Yes. We are the hungry ones. Your torments call us like dogs in the night. And we do feed. And feed well. To stuff yourselves on other people's nightmares. And butter our plain bread with delicious pain. Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to the Boo Case Diaries. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> We're three old devils learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Robin. I'm Marcy. And I'm Adam. <laughs> Well, ghosts and goblins, it's time for part two of our month of Disney Halloween. This week, we're covering one of the scariest and most obscure Disney live-action releases. Impossible. Everyone knows that the 80s was the scariest decade for Disney movies. In animation, there were dark flops like The Black Cauldron. But live-action was the real horror show. Three of the scariest films ever released by Disney came out during this time, two of which we've already covered on this show. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we seem to like scary things. Well. (laughs) (laughs) They were The Watcher in the Woods, Return to Oz, and finally, Something Wicked This Way Comes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's Adam. (laughs) And it's here. It's Adam. (laughs) Well, I am a devil, see? Yes. (laughs) I'm a devil, see? (laughs) So we're going to talk today a little bit about this movie. What did you guys think of this movie? Because this is the first time you guys had ever seen it. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. It was quite an interesting ride, this one. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of a lot of other movies and yet didn't feel like anything I've ever seen. Because it had like the two kid friends and, you know, one of them was kind of sporty jockish and the other one was a nerd right Mm -hmm. the usual (laughs) yeah but then all of the weird happenings and the the bad guy i suppose yeah is very different and i don't know it's you just kind of have to watch it to understand it's very twisted and strange and, and scary on a very deep level. <laughs> yeah, it's not like, rah, yeah. here's the monster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like, made you think weird stuff. It did. Yeah. It, and it, it has just a really weird feeling to mm-hmm. it, which it really picks that up from the book. The book has that very ominous, kind of strange feeling. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, it has a creep factor for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maximum creep <laughs> Maximum. factor. Maximum maximum creep factor you just feel it throughout the whole movie and and just the little the little details yeah things that happen the characters that are kind of the bad characters but just just on the edge of things and mm-hmm. it's, oh, yeah like you would walk up to them and talk to them and they don't seem like they're evil or anything like that mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you're just like uh, um... <laughs> Off-putting. Yeah. Tonight, we're taking you to Dark's Pandemonium Carnival on the edge of Greentown, Illinois. We'll walk through the mirror maze as we discover our deepest desires or our greatest fears. Come join us, won't you? By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. <laughs> <laughs> Is the book, does it have the same title? Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. Because something wicked this way comes already has that ominous tone just by yeah. just the title alone mm-hmm. because it's like you don't know what it is but it's on its way yes in the early 1930s a carnival came to the small town of waukegan illinois among its visitors there was a young boy that would grow up to be one of the most famous authors of the 20th century his name was ray bradbury even as a child bradbury was a fan of horror and fantasy the first film he ever saw was the hunchback of notre dame Lon Chaney's portrayal of the main character inspired him, as did Chaney's other movies. So, gazing at the mysterious oddities of the traveling carnival sparked Bradbury's imagination and gave birth to an idea from one of his most popular novels. Mm. A lot of people, I know a lot of people who've read this but never even heard of the movie. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah, which is <laughs> oh, the other way around. The, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, <laughs> to be fair, I haven't heard of either. Yeah. <laughs> 
One member of the carnival was a man named Electrico that would shoot electricity through his body every night as part of his show. Electrico took Bradbury around the carnival to meet everyone there. This encounter was so influential to him that Bradbury later said that Electrico was largely responsible for his career as an author. Wow. Mm. <laughs> That's a big deal. That I is really big. I don't know if I'd be comfortable <laughs> doing that. <laughs> <laughs> because it could get shocked at any point. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's oh true. Gosh. I think that's so interesting. <laughs> you know, we have this this author that has written such influential stuff. Mm-hmm. And has inspired millions of people. And it's just like, he did it because of this guy at a carnival in the 1930s. (laughs) You know, you have no idea the impact that you have on the world. I mean, Mm -hmm. Ray Bradbury drew from these influences for a short story published in 1948 for a horror pulp fiction magazine called Weird Tales. This story followed two boys as they visited a mysterious carnival with a Ferris wheel that could change the age of a person. By just moving forward or backward. Sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Sure does. Sure does, doesn't it? Um, also, where is my weekly subscription to Weird Tales? Because <laughs> I wanted I know, it. I know. I was like, I wish that still existed. Yeah. yeah. A few years later, Ray Bradbury met up with actor Gene Kelly. He was really impressed with the film that Kelly had just directed. And Kelly asked Bradbury if he had a story he'd like to make into a film. Bradbury decided to repurpose Dark Ferris into a screenplay. Gene Kelly tried to get funding to make the film, but was unsuccessful. So Bradbury repurposed the story once again into a novel. Ah. So it it, it went from short story (laughs) to screenplay to novel. Yeah. So he was like, you know what? Might as well make some money off of it. Yeah, I should make some extra (laughs) money. This is a good idea. It was a good story. So why not? (laughs) You know? Exactly. Exactly. Something Wicked This Way Comes was published in 1962. The novel also followed the story of two boys and how their lives changed when a sinister carnival came to town. The story focuses on the relationships between Will Halloway and his father and between Will and his best friend, Jim Nightshade. Nightshade. What a great name. (laughs) That's a fantastic last name. I know. It's incredible. They even talk about it in the book. Yeah, they do. <laughs> How good that last name is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think he was proud of me. Yeah, he was life. patting himself on the back a little bit there. He's like, mm, Jim Nation, what a great name. <laughs> Will and Jim compliment each other, exhibiting opposite traits while remaining best friends. Will is blonde, while Jim has dark hair. Will was born one minute before midnight on October 30th, while Jim was born one minute after midnight on October 31st. As they run together through the town, Will speeds up to keep up with Jim, while Jim slows down to keep up with Will. What a friendship right there. Yeah. yeah. It's such a beautiful way to describe a friendship. Yeah. You know, it's very innocent. Yeah. Alternatively, Will's father, Charles Halloway, and the carnival owner, Mr. Dark, are antagonistic foils. While Halloway represents the light in Will and Jim's life, Mr. Dark represents the evil threatening to snuff that light out. Very on the nose yeah. with that mm-hmm. name. Mr. Dark. Mr. Dark. <laughs> what does he do? Mm. He brings Snuffs darkness. Snuffs out lights, yeah. <laughs> but see, you could see how interesting it is, right? When you have these two characters, Will and Jim, one mm-hmm. is light, one is darkness, right? That We, we can see yeah. that clearly looking at them. Yeah, the even just by cues. their physical appearance. Yes, right? Light and dark. And then you can see, you know, Jim being like, oh, I want my house to get struck by lightning. And Will's mm-hmm. like, you've got to be crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, you want to die? You want your mom to die? You know, yeah. th- those kinds of things. And so you could see as children that divide. And then you see it as adults. It's so much more of a divide. As adults, they are absolute opposites. Evil, yeah. good, yeah. you know, but as kids, they're best friends. I, I didn't mm-hmm. even think about the physical appearances of Charles Holloway and Mr. Dark because Charles Holloway has the the white hair like he's mm-hmm. he's gotten older so he's got the white hair he's still light yeah. versus Mr. Dark has the deep dark black hair yeah so that even wow and it kind of comes up a little bit later when Mr. Dark kind of says to Jim you know I'm the father you've been waiting for mm. you know you don't belong with these people right This coming-of-age tale, steeped in darkness, was a big hit, and it was only a matter of time before it would be adapted as a film, as that was Ray Bradbury's intention for the story before writing the novel. 
Many producers and directors expressed interest, including Steven Spielberg. But when director Jack Clayton mentioned to Bradbury his desire to adapt the book, Bradbury handed over his hefty 257-page screenplay. Holy cow. Wow. That's a lot. Just imagine yeah. the thump on that desk. <laughs> Clayton worked with Bradbury on a new screenplay, cutting down several pages a day. Together, they decided to place the story in the 1930s, because as Clayton would later say, children, like the ones Ray had written about, just don't exist anymore. A carnival coming to town used to be a big event years ago, but now, what with the advent of television, something like that hardly causes a ripple. <sighs> it's disappointing. It's it's kind of funny to me, though, because as a kid, all I wanted to do was go to I know, yeah. that's what I was thinking, <laughs> yeah. like... And think about how well, like, state and county fairs still do. Yeah. Like, yeah. people still want to do this kind of stuff, oh, but yeah. I guess yeah. maybe not to the same extent. Another big change was the relationship dynamic between Will and his father. Charles Halloway is an old man in Will's eyes, and the film emphasizes how much this upsets Charles. For the film, Clayton and Bradbury portrayed their relationship as a tense one that deepens over time, while in the book... Charles and Will have a sweeter relationship from the beginning. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there is this, in the beginning of the movie, there is this very tense relationship between the two of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can tell he feels bad for being old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's really hard for him to kind of let go of the fact that he can't do what other fathers do because he's old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Will kind of doesn't care about that. But, yeah. like, the fact that his dad's hung up on it, right. that's what mm-hmm. bothers him. And, and I mean, yeah. the the time that the movie is set in, it's that kind of time where the father wants to kind of yeah push their son towards things like that. Like, mm-hmm. you should play baseball, even mm-hmm. though the kid does not want to play baseball. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> things like that, that. You see that in other movies, too. It's just a, a, mm-hmm. a time thing, right? And it's understandable, then, in this that he would feel so bad that he can't do that. Yeah. Even though the kid doesn't care. Will looks at his dad and sees an old man, but it doesn't bother him nearly as much as Charles thinks it does. Like right. it's, mm-hmm. it really, exactly. at least that's not it didn't seem that way to me anyway. Yeah. After finishing the screenplay, Clayton and Bradbury brought the project to several studios that passed. Eventually they ended up at Walt Disney. Clayton hadn't directed a film in nine years and was excited to get back in the director's chair. Filming lasted 90 days, from October to December, and took place almost exclusively on the Disney lot and the Disney ranch. In fact, the water tower shown in the movie is the Disney water tower, repainted to say Greentown. Wow. Cool. That's yeah. Pretty, pretty tight-knit little shoot. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. 90 days, it's not bad. It's not too bad You at don't all. have to go no. on to any other yeah. lots or Especially with on kids. Location. Yeah. Yeah. So, most of you listening right now probably haven't seen this. Or it's been a long time. Or it's been a very long time. If you have seen it and it's like your favorite, please say so. Because honestly, I it was so much of a never heard of this movie before for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. that I would like, I don't want people who know it to feel alone. Yeah. Because it yes. was just so out of the blue for me. It's like, what even is this? And now I like it. But if you liked it as a kid or have seen it a million times, yes, let us know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for those of you who haven't, (laughs) here's a synopsis. It's late October in Greentown, Illinois, when a strange carnival comes to town. Best friends Will and Jim go exploring and discover that under its friendly facade, the festival is much more sinister than it seems. As adults in the town start to go missing, The boys realize the carnival feasts on the desires of men and uses them to do their bidding. Goodness gracious. What a story. Let's watch a Disney Channel movie. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Could you imagine them showing this on Disney Channel? No. They would never. No. If they did, it would... Like, it would be the most edited thing you've ever seen. Yeah, there's no way. (laughs) Usually we run through the facts of how a movie is made, but this week we're doing something a little different. 
We understand that this movie is fairly obscure, and many listeners may not have seen it, or at least maybe it's been a very long time. So we're going to run through some of the biggest scenes in the film while discussing how it was made. Hopefully this will give you listeners more context. Yeah. This will be fun. So here we go. Something Wicked This Way Comes begins with an ominous and energetic theme written by the late great composer James Horner. James. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievably good. So so surprisingly good because (laughs) it just doesn't seem like the movie that would have such a kick-ass soundtrack. It's Mm -hmm. it's incredible. Like, I mean, (laughs) even if you don't want to watch the movie, listen to the soundtrack. Yeah, Yeah. there's a playlist on YouTube of it. Definitely do yourself a favor. Check it out. Originally, the score was written by another composer, Georges Delarue. Disney felt that his score was too somber for modern audiences and made the switch to Horner, much to Jack Clayton's dismay. Yeah, he thought that the original score was great. Yeah. I would, love, I would love to hear it and maybe a, a cut of the movie with it mm-hmm. yeah. and see how different it feels. But I can't hate on the James Horner soundtrack because it's so delightfully spooky yeah, yeah. So like good. if you need like seriously like if you need music for your halloween mm-hmm. party I just, yeah. like yeah. add these in yeah man. ray bradbury ultimately agreed that horner truly brought the magic with this score he really did but we will link to the original score so you can listen to that too yeah yes. i think i listened to a little bit of the beginning to me it sounded a little bit more carnivally they they mm. put some more I don't know, carnival sounds. Yeah. But. Interesting. Yeah. The first image on screen is the train, bringing Cougar and Dark's pandemonium carnival to town. This scene was originally CGI, but it was eventually deemed to be too hokey for the dark and menacing tone of the beginning. What? That's a tall order yeah. for, yes. for you, the 80s. And it wasn't even just the train. The mm-hmm. scene was like the train turning into the carnival, essentially. Oh, man. Yeah. Like nope. showing like CGI tent poles and I mean, my, <laughs> no. oh, my, oh, my. You would have yeah. been better off animating it mm-hmm. by yeah. hand. Absolutely. Throughout the film, there aren't very many visual effects. This was due to the fact that Tron was in production at the same time. And took most of the focus in terms of effects. Uh-huh. Mm. Yes. Jack Clayton also fought against the use of too many effects, leaving more for the audience's imagination. It was a battle. Yeah. <laughs> this is a simple classic story. Yeah. Come on, we don't need all this. <laughs> the title sequence was actually a practical effect, with the letters of the title appearing to look like liquid. It was actually red dyed milk on a metal plate. Oh. Yeah. That's kind of weird. And it's funny because you don't even think about this stuff living in the digital age that we live in yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're watching it and you're like, okay, well, I'm sure that was a digital. Mm-hmm. I'm sure mm-hmm. that was a digital effect. No. 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 <laughs> they had a whole rig for it and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Marcy and I listened to them explain how they did that opening mm-hmm. several times trying to understand what they were talking about. And we still didn't completely We understand. still don't completely get it. We we know that there was a mold and mm-hmm. a metal plate mm-hmm. and red milk. That yes. is what we know. And some air to push around the milk. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> First of all, it was October. A rare month for boys. When the audiences sees Greentown for the first time, we hear a narrator introduce the story. The first spoken line was also the first line of the book's prologue. Full of cold winds, long nights, dark promises. Days get short, the shadows lengthen. The wind mourns in such a way you want to run forever through the fields. Because up ahead, 10,000 pumpkins lie waiting to be cut. When filmmakers decided they wanted narration, they had Ray Bradbury himself record it. But as Ray himself put it, he didn't do a very good job. (laughs) (sighs) Nonsense. (laughs) The beginning establishes the main characters and the setting. We see Tom Fury, a lightning rod salesman, walking down the road with Greentown, Illinois in the distance. Of course, the town is fictional, 
and not actually along that road. So the footage of Tom Fury was combined with a matte painting of the town. This effect was used several times in the film. The matte paintings are put onto glass, and an area is left open where the live-action shots are projected. It is composited in this manner and filmed together to produce the final result that we see. And we'll share pictures of this in the blog so you can kind of get an idea of Goodness. how they did this process. So, yeah. Complicated. It's like, how do they make movies before computers? This is how. Yes. I mean, they had computers in the 80s, but they weren't using them for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> this beginning is meant to seem quiet and mundane. Jack Clayton said, you can only make a fantasy, or even a farce for that matter, only provided you root the beginning in reality. Something wicked starts very normally, and from that, it's just my theory, whether it will work or not, we will just have to wait and see. I think he's right. Almost every horror movie I've ever seen, mm -hmm. it has to start normally. Yeah. Yes. We have to have a baseline. We have mm -hmm. to know what's normal in this universe. Right. You know that you have signed up for a horror movie <laughs> and you already have the tension building in your own mind. Mm -hmm. When will this get scary? Yes. And that's really helpful for building the tension to have things be very mundane seeming, mm -hmm. very normal. Something that you could put yourself into yeah. and be like, okay, I could live in that world. Seems pretty normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the exact same thing that Are You Afraid of the Dark does mm, for right. every yeah. tale. You know, it starts out like, because these are kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is what their child life is like. And it's about to be flipped. <laughs> the production team built the entire town square on the lot. And Bradbury said it was very similar to the town he grew up in that he felt like he was visiting home again. Many of the sets were composites, meaning they were actual buildings with several enclosed rooms and floors, and many of them were connected. Yeah, which I guess makes filming pretty hard. Mm. Usually, oh, yeah. usually when you have a set, you have a whole wall gone so that yes. everybody can stand there and film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you have an entire room... You have to fit everybody in that room. Yeah. You don't have as yep. much space. You have yeah. lighting. You yeah. have <laughs> yeah. but cameras. Hey, but hey, it makes an authentic town. Mm -hmm. mm. It definitely doesn't look like a set. It doesn't. True. It looks like a real town. Yeah. Many of the outside scenes were shot in the early part of the day to get a gloomier look. When this wasn't possible, the production team would silk over the top of the set to soften the natural light. Uh-huh. Yeah. Basically, they would have a whole sheet of something over top <laughs> Just of covering. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. They just make it a little more gloomy. Yeah. You don't need yeah. all that sunburn. <laughs> <laughs> just after the narration introduced Will and Jim, we see them running through the town, ending up at the library. Many of these shots are continuous, and the camera was mounted on a car so it could follow the running boys. But I suppose that this is really the story of my father. And that strange, leaf-whispery autumn, when his heart was suddenly too old and too tired and too full of yearning and regrets. And he didn't know what to do about it. The library that Will and Jim entered was a detailed set, designed to look like the Carnegie libraries donated to many small towns in the 1920s. This scene introduces Charles Halloway, Will's father, and sets up his dilemma of being a man too old to keep up with his growing son. This is also where we learn that Jim doesn't really have a father, though he pretends that his father writes to him. Jack Clayton didn't like doing several takes with young actors, because their acting tended to fall apart after saying the same lines over and over again. So scenes like this have very minimal cuts, and a lot of the time, both actors will be in the shot. So you just need a one camera. Aha. Uh -huh. Smart. Yeah. Now that the film has implied Charles' desire to be young, we see him interact with the other adult characters. This scene sets up their unique wants, as the barber wishes to be with women, the cigar store owner wants money, and the barkeep wishes to be an athlete again. Mm. So it's interesting because they also have this extra character who is a doctor 
who really doesn't have any focus on all at all <laughs> on him. Mm-hmm. But he's the only other adult that they depict in this town that notices that something weird is going on. Yeah, mm. yeah. Is this yeah. is this doctor? Yeah. It's always the kids who notice things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Always. always. Always up to the kids. After this, Charles encounters the first piece of the carnival in his own town, the most beautiful woman in the world, encased in ice. The red ring on her hand glows, which is one of the many visual effects that the producers added after they thought the first cut of the film was too ambiguous. Clayton and Bradbury didn't initially agree that audiences needed to see effects to understand the magical aspects of the film, but felt that most of the effects added did enhance the story. I think that's just a simple, like, hey, recognize this ring real quick yeah. and then move on. Notice it later when yeah. it reappears. Yeah. Yeah. I. They really, this was a big fight. They really, <laughs> <laughs> Disney watched this movie and they said, this movie is too ambiguous. And the director said, no, no, no. People can fill in the blanks with their imaginations. Mm-hmm. They can understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And Disney was like, no, they can't. <laughs> 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 After a while, you know, they were kind of like, they were kind of right. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's nice that these things are there. Yeah, I mean, if you don't point it out necessarily, yeah, they may eventually understand that things are magical, but without it being specifically like, pointed out as weird or or, Mm -hmm. like you need to notice this right now it may become like just part of the normal Mm -hmm. like well maybe this universe magic just exists in some ways but when you point it out like hey look at how weird this is yeah Mm -hmm. then people are like oh this is unusual magic or anything like that right yeah the carnival arrives (laughs) eventually that has to happen right Mm -hmm. Will and Jim are safely home in their beds when they awake to the sounds of a train. Their bedrooms were composite sets and very difficult to film in, so sometimes the ceiling had to be taken out in order to fit the filming equipment. The boys sneak out of their windows and run to see the train. This scene was shot on the Disney ranch, and bright lights were flashed on the boys' faces to make it appear as if the train was passing by. Oh, clever. Yeah. Very. The moment that the train stops, the carnival appears out of nowhere. Oh, man. So, yeah, the dad came home from work. Mm -hmm. The boys were safe in bed. And then they hear the train in the middle of the night and they get up. Oh, my goodness. A train in the middle of the night? That's so weird. Yeah. It's not like that's when most trains do their work. (laughs) (laughs) Filmmakers used miniatures to show the carnival as a whole, while individual sets were built for the actors to interact with. In this scene, we meet the Dust Witch character for the first time. She's dressed in a black costume of spider lace. In the book, the witch is more fairy tale like but in the movie, they combined this character and the most beautiful woman in the world. Ray Bradbury loved the costume for this character. Oh, it was an amazing costume. Mm-hmm. They found, Great Halloween costume. They found the perfect <laughs> outfit for her. <laughs> yeah. They kind of sneak onto the carnival and now that it's just suddenly built, mm-hmm. right? And they're kind of peeking around and they and they walk into this cart and they there's the woman. She's sitting in the corner basically petting a spider. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they get scared and they run out. And then there's this burst of carnival music in the soundtrack mm-hmm. <laughs> as they as they run away from them, as they flee the carnival. After Will returns home from seeing the carnival, he confronts his father, who was also out late. This encounter shines a light on the tension in their relationship. Instead of using multiple cameras to shoot this scene, they utilize the lighting to get the audience to focus on specific characters at certain times. The key light is on Charles, played by Jason Robards, because this scene is about him and his regrets. But we don't really know the regrets yet. Right. No. He kind of mentions it, and Will's like, eh, we don't need to talk about, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. yeah. We, sh- we should go to bed, Dad. That's sh- the past, We should go to bed. It's 3 a.m. It's just an ordinary carnival. The boys return to the carnival in the daytime and are almost disappointed to discover that it is a seemingly ordinary carnival that just looked evil at night. (laughs) But while they explore, the audience witnesses the adults become consumed by their own desires. The boys walk past a tent of dancing women, and Will wants to keep walking. But Jim peeps through the hole in the fabric to watch the dancing ladies. 
Set designers specifically made the carnival appear weathered and broken down, with ripped canvases and unkempt attractions. It added to the creepy aesthetic, but it also proved how old the carnival itself was. The scene replaces a moment in the book where Jim witnesses something happening with adults in their bedroom at night. Um, Ish. Good good replacement there. Mm -hmm. Will wants to keep walking, but Jim can't tear himself away. This speaks to the difference in their characters and how even though they are the same age, they are at different places mentally. Yeah. And so this carnival scene is really interesting. We kind of lose the boys yeah. for a little bit. We kind of don't see them. We're kind of focusing more on the adults for a little while. And we see them kind of disappear, right? Mm-hmm. We, we see the barbershop guy. He's like, oh, yes, I want women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of gets like wrapped up in all the women dancing. And we've got the... Cigar owner guy who wins a thousand dollars and then just straight up disappears. Yeah, he goes right. on the fer- <laughs> he goes up onto the Ferris wheel yes. with a woman, and then when it comes back down, it's just the cigar. <laughs> yes, he's no longer there, and but the woman is still there. Yeah, yeah. The boys sneak into the off limits part of the carnival and run into Mister Dark, the man that runs the place. At first, his face is shrouded in darkness to symbolize the presence of his evil. Oh my goodness. He's incredible. Introductions all around. My name is Mr. Dark. I advise you to respect it. Before sending the boys away, he shows the boys the shifting tattoos on his hand, which seems to be his carnival trick. To achieve this effect, the director projected the image of a kaleidoscope onto Jonathan Price's arm. Yes. Ah. Jonathan Price plays Mr. Dark. Yes, which is a great choice. He does a wonderful job. Yes, he does. It's so good. (laughs) The backward carousel. (gasps) Convinced that something strange might happen at night, the boys stay behind and sneak back into the carousel's tent. They watch as the ride runs in reverse, lowering the age of a man riding it until he becomes a little boy. Yeah. What? 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 Ray Bradbury said this was kind of the central thing that held the story together. Mm-hmm. You know, is the presence of this ride. And in the original story, it was the Ferris, Ferris wheel. wheel. Yeah, and here it's the carousel. The the ride, you know, moving forward or moving backward. Kids get on, they want to move forward. Adults right, get on, right. they want to move back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Filmmakers used a real carousel for the scene that they found on Long Beach. They took it apart and shipped the parts to Los Angeles, where it was rebuilt on the soundstage. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. it's a legit carousel. Yeah. It looked good. Yeah. The director overlaid past frames to get the dragging, blurred effect as the carousel ran. Yeah, so as the carousel is going and this man is changing into a little boy, the it's really blurry mm-hmm. and magical mm-hmm. looking and mm-hmm. it's, it's supposed to simulate a transition and so yeah they laid frames past frames over top current ah. frames in order to get you know this weird effect yeah it's like almost slow motion yeah. but you're still seeing the frames at normal speed yeah it's really weird The man, Mr. Cougar, is one of the carnival owners in the book. He turns into a little boy to do Mr. Dark's bidding. The boy that played this role was very young and didn't really understand what was happening. This helped bring a creepiness to the character. He's very creepy. He he really is. He's very creepy. He gets off the carousel and Mr. Dark's like, all right, you know what to do. And he just takes off on a dead run. (laughs) <laughs> just gone no yep. no words i don't think this kid says a line in the whole movie no. no and later on which we're not gonna talk about we're gonna skip over that because time but you know <laughs> <laughs> later on he breaks a window and blames the others i mean just like yeah all kinds of crap yeah the talk on the porch after returning home will has another talk with his father it's in this scene that we realize that will almost drowned as a younger child and Charles was unable to save him. Will had been saved by Jim's father, 
And Charles has felt like a failure ever since. Yeah. You know, this <laughs> seems more of like a good reason or a legitimate reason to be upset mm-hmm. with yourself mm-hmm. rather than just feeling old. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think just the sting of it being Jim's dad. Mm-hmm. Right. When that man obviously abandoned his family. And it's just kind of like that guy mm-hmm. was better than yeah. me when I it counted can... the most. Yeah. You know, like that's how yeah. that's how he sees this. And he, he probably is scared like if it happens again. Right. I can't yeah, that's true. Jim's father isn't here. I'm the only like man around yeah. these two houses. What am I gonna do? Yeah. This scene was cut up by the studio, making it one of the choppier scenes in the movie. It also has the tightest close-ups in the entire film, as it's an important moment for both characters. At the end of the scene, Will challenges his father to climb up the side of the house and into his bedroom window. Charles refuses because Jack Clayton felt it would build the tension between the two characters. In the book, Charles rises to the challenge and almost falls. But Will saves him, setting up the final act when Charles must rise to the challenge of saving his own son. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something, son. When you see the end of things coming close and staring at you, it's not what you've done that you regret. It's what you didn't do. Seeing something they shouldn't. Miss Foley... Jim and Will's teacher looks into her mirror and sees a younger version of herself. She so desperately wants to be young again, and suddenly she becomes her younger self, but immediately goes blind. <sighs> so this Monkey's is paw. yes, yeah. This is the only part really where we see it happen in real time, mm-hmm. where we see that they're getting what they want. But at a terrible price. Yeah. Of all of the prices that they have had to pay. This yeah. is the most devilish yeah. type of yeah. you know, exchange here. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll make you as beautiful as you want to be, but you'll never see it. Yeah. Right. It and it's so specific to this character because <laughs> not only does she just want to be young again, but she was considered to be incredibly beautiful when she was young. Like yeah. the mm-hmm. town agreed that oh, she's the most beautiful woman in town. Yeah. We all love her because of it. So it's not just being young, but specifically because of her beauty mm-hmm. of when she was that age. Yeah. So it's all the more evil. Yeah. It's <laughs> awful. Ugh. To create this sequence, filmmakers used a sodium vapor technique that predates green screens. It's a version of matte photography that allowed them to overlay images in a realistic way. After seeing the magical power of the carousel, Jim also gives in to his desire to be grown and heads to the carnival to make his wish come true. Luckily, Will stops him. The boys discover all the adults in the town under the tent, and Mr. Dark has Tom Fury, the lightning salesman strapped to an electric chair. Yikes. Mm. Mr. Dark demands Fury tell him when the next storm is, for storms wash away the carnival. This is such an interesting point because it seems that they can set up willingly Mm -hmm. wherever they want, whenever. But the fact that they have to wait for a storm to like close down Mm -hmm. seems very odd. Yeah, he's just kind of like, how much time do we have? Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we want you to, want you to yeah. tell us how much time we have. And already at the beginning of his story, they knew that a storm was coming. Mm-hmm. Right, because I imagine they don't want to stay very long mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there are only like two ways it could go if the storm doesn't come and they are stuck there, right? Yeah. You either end up having to consume the entire town with your like tricks. Mm-hmm. Right, which they're doing bang-up job right now. Right, but, yeah. it, but it would end up having to be literally everybody because you just can't leave. Right, yeah. Or people start to realize what's happening mm-hmm. and, like, you get caught. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, so you have to get out of there well, before. Yeah, 
We kind of find out later that Charles's dad wrote down about this happening in the right, past. Right, right. And so I think that was kind of a danger. Like, you know, that people are catching on. They're yeah. getting wise. Yeah. And maybe they won't fall for this again. The sky in this scene was created by using a cloud tank. The bottom layer of the tank is salt water, while the top layer is fresh water. Various liquids are injected into the tank to create these clouds. That is so cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because if you've ever looked up videos of people like putting ink into water and it gives mm-hmm. it that just the coolest yeah. <laughs> effect. Oh, yeah. And that's so cool that they did that here. Yeah. Like a similar thing. That's awesome. From this point on in the movie, a lot of visual effects were added to enhance the story. This involved adding hand-drawn animations of dust, smoke, and glowing objects. A green, hand-drawn smoke follows Will and Jim as they run home. This is the part where they get found out. Mr. Dark sees them witnessing all this stuff. Yeah. They run off. And, you know, this is also they they show Will his own head getting chopped off, which is... Um. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable that that it's got kept into the movie. Something, yeah, yeah, just, just iconic. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. And the Dust Witch now is kind of she's sending this magic after them. Yeah. And this is the beautiful hand-drawn smoke dust that kind of goes, and it's so classic Disney, mm-hmm. and it's so cool to see hand-drawn animation in a live-action movie being used as a live-action effect. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. It's such a classic look. Yeah, (laughs) it looks so good. Because you see it and you're like, obviously it doesn't look real. It looks good, though. Yeah. (laughs) So this leads us to the spider scene, which I think one of the scariest scenes in the whole movie. Mm. Yeah. The first cut of Something Wicked did not do well with audiences. The film went through major cuts, and some reshoots were done for the ending. Originally, there was a scene that involved a giant hand reaching into Will and Jim's bedrooms. The hand was animatronic and didn't seem to look real enough to keep the scary tone of the movie. Oh, man. And, you know, the filmmakers were kind of like, we thought it looked great. We thought it was rendered really well. We thought oh. it looked like a gray hand. I don't know. Uh. But they, they originally, the original cut of this film, that's what's in, is uh. the scene of this hand reaching in. I want to see that. Yeah. yeah. So about one year after initial filming, the actors that played Will and Jim had to return to shoot a new scene that involved hundreds of tarantula spiders. Jack Clayton had to be careful which angles to shoot the boys from because it was obvious that they had grown. In fact, the actor that played Will had to wear a wig. The scene features a lot of real spiders, which gave most of the crew a bad allergic reaction. Oh, no. (laughs) The special effects team also built animatronic spiders, but they didn't match up to the real ones. So, the spiders under the blankets on the boys' beds are actually animatronic. Ah. I'd rather have it be that way, honestly. Oh, oh my gosh, yeah. This scene is this like nightmare, right? Mm -hmm. We're supposed to believe it was some sort of nightmare. So the smoke is kind of, it's tricking them. It's playing tricks on them. And Will opens the window, runs across. He's in Jim's room now. The ceiling breaks open and it's just hundreds of tarantulas. Just like- Coming into the room, they're under the sheets in the bed. They're no. crawling, you know, the boys are climbing on the walls right. trying to avoid them. They're on their arms uh, and legs. It, it's just, he pulls the blanket back at one point. He's just covered in them. Yeah. Mm. And you have to remember that a tarantula is like, look down at your own hand, and that's about how big tarantulas can be. Yeah. yeah. Like, they're, they're huge. Fucking big spiders. Yeah, man. they're huge. And that's what they were saying. Tarantulas don't. The bite isn't what's really poisonous. Mm-hmm. It's mo. It's like this powder that they shed. They, they're like little yeah, they, hairs. Their hair picks up like dust, and it yeah, like get, it's like an infectious smoke. Yeah, or like dust. I guess. On yeah, them. and that's why the crew was like sniffling and oh, covering their man. faces oh. and. <laughs> 
during no. this filming process because there were so many spiders there Gosh. and just unbelievable. And if you watch this movie and you're kind of watching a little closely, you can definitely tell the boys are older in this scene. Yeah. yeah. They're taller. Yep. They're thinner. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's pretty obvious that they're, yeah. they're older kids. What a day of shooting that must have been. I know. Oh, yeah. oh my God. I think about that. I, those boys, I wouldn't have been able to handle no. that. Yeah. I would have been like, no. Class A acting, you know? Because I would not <laughs> yeah. have been able to do it. I yeah, yeah I like, mean, mm. the crew Let's... was having a tough time. Right. How about yeah. these kids? I don't like regular spiders walking on me. Yeah, like, nope. They just call you up and they're like, hey, do you want to do this scene with the spiders? And you're like, mm, no, I thought the hand scene was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Next is the parade. After experiencing the horrible night terror of the spiders in their beds, a vision sent by the Dust Witch, presumably, Will and Jim are certain that Mr. Dark is searching for them because they've witnessed too much. Mr. Dark leads a parade through the town, and for the first time we see all the people that he has tricked and transformed, but none of the other townsfolk seem to care. Yeah, it's kind of like they're all under some weird spell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because you would think that they would notice, like, hey, wait a minute, that looks exactly like Miss Foley as a young woman. Yeah. Or, hey, or, wait a minute, that's the cigar salesman. Why mm-hmm. is he dressed that way? Yeah. Right. You know, right. what is going on here? Charles Halloway notices when a young boy shows up wearing the exact clothes of the barkeep, a man that had lost his leg and arm. The little boy catches a football the exact same way the barkeep would, confirming Charles's suspicion that something nefarious is going on. Mr. Dark approaches Charles and asks about Will and Jim, showing him tattooed images of them on his hand. The images were photos of the boys that the makeup department had to draw on Jonathan Price's hands. What a weird wow. thing that must have been yeah. to Charles. Like, Yeah, it's uh, like, okay, I thought something weird was going on, but this yeah. man who I don't know, has a tattoo of my son's face <laughs> on the palm of his hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. props to the makeup department, they look super good. Yeah. When Charles refuses to give up the boys, Mr. Dark closes his hand so tightly that blood drips from it. This effect was achieved with a simple sponge with cosmetic blood. And I want to say... Props to Charles here for not like losing it and mm-hmm. like giving into this because Mr. Dark is an incredibly intimidating man mm-hmm. and being really freaked out. Anyone would be really freaked out by yeah. him. Yeah. But obviously he knew that this creepy man with a tattoo of my son's <laughs> face on his hand really shouldn't. Find out where my son is. Yeah, he yeah. really shouldn't because he just closed his fist so tightly that it's bleeding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on my son's face, which is supposed to be kind of like, you I'm know. Gonna yeah, kill him. Like- yeah. And Mr. Dark doesn't know this, but Jim and Will are literally just beneath them. They're yeah. in this grate in the road and they're kind of watching from below. And so the blood actually does drip on Will's face mm-hmm. after he closes his hand that Will. With the picture of Will, which is, wow. (laughs) Yeah. You know, after Mr. Dark walks away, there's this really sweet moment where Will is like, Dad, we're down here. And they just like, they touch their hands through Mm -hmm. the grate because the dad knows you're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Like, by the pricking of my thumbs. Something wicked this way comes. Then rang the bells both loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong will fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's a thousand years to Christmas, Mr. Halloween. The most intense scene in the film takes place in the library, as Will and Jim hide from Mr. Dark. Charles tries to hold him off, buying the boys more time, but Mr. Dark proves to be too powerful. This was Ray Bradbury's favorite part of the movie. Jonathan Price and Jason Robards, who played Charles, were able to act out the scene over and over to get the director lots of different options for the final cut. The scene took a week to shoot. Oh, man. Hmm. This scene is incredible. It is. It's the best part of the movie. Yeah. Because it's just, it's so well acted. 
It's well lit. You know, they lit it intentionally to look like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. We have this incredible dialogue, this great exchange, because this this is not the first time that Mr. Dark and Charles Holloway kind of interact with each other, but this is the first time when they're both speaking very honestly with each other. Mm-hmm. Mr. Dark is like, tell me where your son is and I'll give you anything you want. He reveals everything. He reveals yeah. it in the sense that like, oh my God, you are so stupid. Okay, <laughs> we are we are so powerful. There is nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. Are you serious? This is our job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what we do. <laughs> yeah, you're not the first. Yeah. yeah, he's so angry, and it just it's such a wonderful. It's just really well acted. The scene involves pages being ripped from a book. As each page falls to the floor, it glows. An animator had to use rotoscoping to trace the images frame by frame to add the effect. Wow. Oh, man. Nice yeah. job. Mm-hmm. So what's happening is he has this book in his hands, and basically he's telling, as he rips out each page, it's another year of Charles's life going by. And he says, well, what do you want? Do you want to be 30? You want to be 30? Mm-hmm. And he gives him the, you know, and mm-hmm. each as he rips each page, he gets, old, the offer is <laughs> older and older. Yes. And there's an amazing part <laughs> where he gets... Oh gosh, it's what? Thir- is it 39? 39. He's, he's like, a- prime time in your life. 39? You you're know, still young? Yep. Then he he's like, oh, gone, rips it out, throws it. 40. <laughs> you're old. <laughs> you're so old. Life has slipped away. And it's like one year. <laughs> so just so you know. 39, you guys are doing fine. You're doing just fine. As soon as you turn 40, you're on your deathbed. Apparently, <laughs> according to Mr. Dark. <laughs> he must be 39 permanently. <laughs> he yeah. must be. You know yeah, what? That's, that's just, a good point. That's his, yeah. This is the scene where the audience learns about Mr. Dark and who he truly is. They are the hungry ones that feed off the dreams of men. As Mr. Dark attempts to tempt Charles, he quotes the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. The song is heavily featured in the book, and Ray Bradbury felt it appropriate for the story. Mr. Dark is mocking the idea of love and goodwill. It's it's a very good, like, I mean, we all knew he was evil at this point, but it's mm-hmm. like a final reveal of, like, look at how deliciously evil this, this yeah. man is, you know, in that kind of off-putting way that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Where it's not really like, oh my gosh, he's a scary man who's gonna just get me and right. get, mm-hmm. get me with a knife or something, any anything yeah. like that. Yeah, it just messes with your mind a lot more. Mister Dark then breaks Charles's hand, solidifying his defeat. This was a prosthetic hand, and the scene was initially too gory, and it had to be cut down. There is blood, the bones, you can kind of yeah. see the bones break yeah. through the skin. Mm-hmm. It's pretty rough. Yeah, this is pretty graphic. Mr. Dark then finds the boys and steals them away, as the Dust Witch gives Charles a taste of death. He says, give him a taste of death so that he might recognize it when it comes for him. Yeah. 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 <sighs> nice, dude. Mm. Nice. <laughs> as Mr. Dark pulls the boys away, he shuts off the barber pool in the town symbolizing the end of life. <sighs> yeah. And I, I mean, I don't like when bad guys kind of are winning, mm-hmm. but man, kind of a cool line and mm-hmm. like yeah. like pretty solid victory like <laughs> Yeah. It it is very solid. Yeah. I think and it, the barber pole is one of those things that is a big deal in the book. And it it's just on in the whole movie. They don't really have a scene where they talk about it very much. And because we talked about the movie, we were watching the movie, and Adam pointed out, he said, the barber pool wouldn't be on if the barber shop's not open. It's like a bright yeah, little thing. Yeah, it's like a never-ending. You don't see a beginning and end. It just keeps yeah. going and going. Interesting. Yeah, so life keeps going and going. And yeah. then when you turn the pole off, life ends. Something yeah. Something is over. Mm-hmm. The mirror maze. When Charles awakes, he runs to the carnival to save the boys and gets trapped in a mirror maze. This was another scene that needed to be reshot. If you look closely, Will is wearing the same wig in this scene that he wears in the spider scene. Yeah. 
it's he's pretty in, obvious. Yeah, he's in this scene a lot less, so it's a little harder to see it. But yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Once it's you know it's there. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Originally, the scene showed Charles running through a series of mirrors with older men without their false teeth on the other side. This represented his fear of being too old, but the climax didn't work well with the test audiences. Yeah. I think because of what Adam said earlier, where he mm. said that it's a better point of tension that he's more upset about not saving his son than yes. being old. Mm -hmm. And so why would this be his greatest fear? Yeah. When really his greatest fear is that he mm -hmm. failed his son. Yeah. It's much more vain to yeah. be like, I'm old. Mm -hmm. I can't do the things I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Versus love for my son wanting to be there for him. Yeah. So the story was changed, and Charles instead saw the memory of him failing to save his son. Drink deep its funeral sights and sounds. Your failure as a father, failure as a father and as a man. Father as a man. And as a man. Your son hates you. Your son hates you. Son hates you. You've lost him. You've lost him. He's mine. He's mine. And young Gymnastic too. Special effects artists added rounded edges to the mirrors so that the audience understood that he was looking into a mirror and not a screen or a doorway. So he's in a house of mirrors. Mm -hmm. And the effects that Disney felt like audiences wouldn't understand that he was looking in mirrors during this scene. So they turned the rectangles into ovals. Uh, to yes. convince us that he's looking in mirrors. Well, you know, right. because mirrors only can be oval, Robin. I learned that from it's Snow White. It's a literal right? house of mirrors. <laughs> Obviously, he was looking in mirrors. Like, I don't yeah. understand. It's so... He, I he know. goes in and I there's know. many reflections of him first. <laughs> I think we understand. <laughs> I think we got it. I was thinking about it and I thought, well, maybe because the idea is that he is standing in a mirror Mm -hmm. And the reflection, his reflection of him mm -hmm. is the memory of him failing to save his son. That is how he sees himself. When he looks mm -hmm. in the mirror, he sees a failure. Mm -hmm. And I guess I was thinking about it and I thought maybe they thought people would think he's just showing him this. This is not his reflection. It's something he's being mm -hmm. shown. And so they turn it into an oval mirror, but I... Unnecessary. Charles is able to break through the mirror and save Will as Tom Fury defeats the Dust Witch. But their troubles aren't entirely over until Mr. Dark accidentally falls victim to his own tricks and is forced to age rapidly on the carousel. This scene was far too extensive in the original cut, which made the audience laugh. Yeah. What? Yeah, <clears throat> so essentially the scene just went on for way too long. Mm -hmm. And they gave them too much information and it was too drawn out. And it just okay. took away the whole effect of him rapidly aging. Mm. Uh. Which, so the rapid aging, the effects here, I think, are incredible. Yeah. The scene ends with the carnival being swept up in a cloud that was created with a cloud tank. The miniature carnival was shot upside down and filmmakers simply dropped the pieces from the ceiling. Yeah. Uh. Cool. Nice, man. <laughs> How cool. It's a really, really creative Dude, way mm -hmm. to do it. Yeah. Whenever I find out that movies use miniatures in creative ways, it's always so cool. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, like, I'm like, yeah. I always look back and I'm like, how did I not notice? Yeah. <laughs> I miss it every time. Yeah. Like, wow, that was a miniature. It's like, so smart to just do it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're like, well, what if we just drop them from the ceiling? Then it, with the camera upside down, it just looks like they're flying upward. Yeah. yeah. After the carnival is swept away, Will, Jim, and Charles all head, skipping back to Greentown. The light on the barber's pole flicks on again, and everything seems to be okay. <sighs> all right. So we didn't really explain how they end up defeating him and how mm -hmm. all that works, and I, I did that on purpose so that if you're listening, you can watch the movie. Yeah. And really experience that part of it. And I wonder if all of those people that got taken mm -hmm. if are now permanent fixtures of this carnival. Oh, yeah. If they're now the hungry ones or if, you know, now that Mr. Dark has been destroyed, if the people that work the carnival or people who have been taken in the past have been let are go. now going oh, to 
you know, suddenly a good question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like the spell is broken. Mm. I wonder. Yeah. Miss really Foley, reveal. does she become an old lady again? Can yeah. does, you know what happens? Interesting. That is a good point because yeah. on face value, everything seems to go back to normal, mm-hmm. but they don't show all the people who had already fallen victim to the carnival. Yeah. So we don't know really. Yeah. We don't know. In a way, it's kind of cooler to leave mm-hmm. it yeah. ambiguous. Yeah. I like it when things are a little ambiguous. Yeah. All right. So next, we have starring. First person on here is Vidal Peterson as Will Halloway. He also played the elder in Mork and Mindy. What? Nice. Sean Carson as Jim Nightshade. Perfect name. (laughs) So perfect. This was his biggest role. And what a role to have, honestly. Yeah. Diane Ladd as Jim's mother, Mrs. Nightshade. Diane has been in many films, including National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Hey, we mentioned that not too long ago. Jason Robards as Will's father, Charles Halloway. Jason had several credits, such as Little Big League and Parenthood, to name a few. I piss on Jed Clampett. (laughs) (laughs) That was his famous line from Little Big League. Perfect. He was Ray Bradbury's first choice for the character. The two got to know each other really well during filming. Yeah, and he does a wonderful job. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Jonathan Price as Mr. Dark. Jonathan has also been a well-known actor in things as recent as Pirates of the Caribbean and The Crown. Dude, this this dude, I'm a fan. This Hell yeah. I'm a big fan of Jonathan Price. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So good. Royal Dano as Tom Fury. He was in a lot of things, even Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I can't wait to cover that movie. Oh, I know, oh I can't either. I know, we've got to do it. We have to. We have to. Do we? One of these days. We sure oh, do, Adam. yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we, sure we do. do. Okay. Pam Greer as the Dust Witch. Pam is an influential woman who starred in black exploitation films in the 70s, like Foxy Brown. She now has an autobiography, Foxy, My Life in Three Acts. She does great in this. So, how... We, I mean, we, <laughs> we love this movie, right? Yeah. Yes. But, I'm a big fan. But mm-hmm. was it received well by others? You know what? Let's pretend it was. Yeah, you yep. know what? Sure. All right, moving on. <laughs> when the test audience watched Something Wicked This Way Comes, they did not give it a good reception. Nope. Mm-mm. According to Ray Bradbury, at least one-fourth of the film had to be changed. The movie was a commercial flop, making only about half of its budget. I know, it's so sad. Which sucks. It's not available to stream and is still relatively obscure. But Ray Bradbury was incredibly proud of it. He really was. And should be. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, it it just was really apparent, him talking about it. He Mm -hmm. was very proud of this movie. Yes. The movie won two Saturn Awards for Best Fantasy Film and Best Writing, which is still pretty good. Yeah. You know, people, at least people saw it and were like, this is good. This is a good movie. <laughs> so you'd think they'd at least have it available. <laughs> yeah. You would think. I think they should release it and also on the DVD, like a special edition release, mm-hmm. but also on the DVD release the original cut. Mm-hmm. Yes. With like the hand yes. and the different ending and, and the CGI, the if they have that. Yeah, I oh yes, the CGI scene mm-hmm. with the train. I want to see all that. Yeah, that would be really cool. In 1983, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars and wrote, "It's one of the few literary adaptations I've seen in which the film not only captures the mood and the tone of the novel, but also the novel's style in its descriptions of autumn days." in its heartfelt conversations between a father and son, in the unabashed romanticism of its evil carnival, and even the perfect rhythm of its title. This is a horror movie with elegance. I think elegant is the perfect word to Mm -hmm. describe this kind of, like this style of spook. Yeah. Something Wicked This Way Comes is dark and magical. Pressing play on this film is like opening a time capsule to 1980s Disney when they weren't afraid to get truly scary. The film is frightening for children and adults alike, but for different reasons. For children, the fears are literal, like darkness and spiders, 
For adults, the frights are more abstract, like failure and weakness. And this story makes us all face the question, if you were faced with the chance to fulfill your deepest desires, what price would you pay? Oh, man. That is a deep question. Oh, my goodness. Well, I guess it's another case closed. Woo! On fire this month. Killing it. We honestly, like, every time we do it super well, we are just, like, setting ourselves up for a horrific failure (laughs) at some point. (laughs) It's going to be so bad. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, before we go, we'd like to thank our patrons. Yeah. Yeah. John, Jacob, Jacqueline, JD, Anthony, Shelly, Linda, Bob, Carlos, and Jaren. You can now buy us a popcorn. I know you've been waiting to do that. Now you can. At buymeacoffee.com slash blackcasediary. Thank you to all of you that support us, whether it be through listening, telling a friend, or donating. Did you, do you like this movie? Have you seen this movie? What do you think about it? Do Mm -hmm. you think it's terrible? Do you think we're wrong? You could just, Tweet us an emoji of a frowny face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. We'll know that we're we'll know wrong. What you mean. Exactly. We'll know what you mean. <laughs> but then give us a fantastic review. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Right, yes. Go tell a <laughs> friend like, and leave us a review. Yeah, just say something like, they're wrong, but they try really hard. Yeah. <laughs> you try that. We tryeth. We, we tryeth. Really, truly, the unofficial slogan of this podcast. <laughs> yes. Especially during spooky Spooktober. time. Spooky oh. God, I love Halloween so much. <laughs> uh, well, goodbye. Bye. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>